80s Welcome to 80sography, a track-by-track, album-by-album, artiste-by-artiste, deep dive through pop music's golden age. Fact. We will have a mixture of acts that were either big in the 80s, or established acts that hit the 80s with a varying degree of success. And no one typifies that more than our first subject, Captain Fantastic, half of the Orson Cart writing team, the rocket man himself, Reginald Kenneth Dwight. Yes, the bitch is back at the time of the spandex ballet. It's Sir Elton Hercules, named after Step 2 and Son's horse, John. And you can tell everybody This is your song No, no, no So where are we with Elton John as he approaches the 80s? Well, after an inconceivably busy period, between 1969 and 79, he released 13 studio albums, two of them doubles, and a film soundtrack, and a non-album singles. Up to 1976, he had six consecutive number one albums in America, seven if you count the best of, which sold 17 million copies in the US and sold 30 million copies worldwide of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. He also had six number one US singles and was huge in the UK, Europe and around the world. Things took a dip in America after he came out as bisexual in 1976 to Rolling Stone magazine. That's the one where he said Billy draws the line at goats. <laughs> there were diminishing returns in both the US and the UK with his remaining albums of the 70s. Blue Moves in 76, Single Man in 78 and his worst selling album is Jumping on Disco Bandwagon, Victim of Love in 79. So creatively and commercially we find Elton had a bit of a low ebb as he approaches the new decade. 1980. First album was 21 at 33, which was recorded in August 79 and early 1980. Co-produced with Clive Franks, I think did a lot of the sound at his gigs. It was released in May and it got to number 12 in the UK and 13 in the US, which was a marked improvement from his previous album, his disco album, Victim of Love, which didn't even get into the top 30 in either country. Are you still with me? I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. The title 21 at 33 refers to the fact it was his 21st album at the age of 33. Although it was his 14th studio album. So that 21 includes live albums and compilations and all that malarkey. Hey, wait a minute, I've just done a wiki check. That includes a three-song 12-inch EP, The Tom Bell Sessions. He's included that as part of the 21 albums. That's a con. A 12-inch single? No. No, not having it, Reg. Do I give a toss? No. So what to say about the cover? It's got lots of bold, bright primary colours. Two disembodied hands playing cards. 21 in one hand, 33 in the other. 21 of hearts against 33 of diamonds. Is there significance to that? I don't know. Let's not delve any deeper into that. In a nutshell, very super tramp in the 70s. Anyway, we have the opening track, which is Chasing the Crown.
So yeah, um, Chasing the Crown. As far as the recording goes, the 80s haven't quite begun, which is fair enough, because this is recorded in that 79, early 1980 period. And there's one thing about Elton John records in the 80s. He has the whitest backing vocals. I mean, seriously, they're pale. They're so white. They're translucent. They're so white. You're in more dire need of a blowjob than any white man in history. At least these female vocals have a bit more energy to them. Courtesy of, and I'm, I'm remembering this from memory, Stephanie Spruill, Spruill, and Carmen Twilly. Let's say that just one more time. Carmen Twilly. Carmen Twilly. Did the backing vocals on four tracks, including this one. And yeah, it's better than some of the backing vocals. Uh, we'll get to later. Guitar solo from Steve Lukather from Toto. Uh, has a very kind of Bowie feel to it, I think. It reminds me of Boys Keep Swinging, which was recorded and released the year before. Maybe there is an influence there. Uh, this is okay, but I say this sounds very dated. I think even in 1980, I think this would have sounded dated. Uh, background to the lyrics. This was a lyric written by, of course, Bernie Taupin. Hi, I'm Bernie Taupin. Oh, Bernie. Oh, Bern. Uh, it'd been a bit of a break um, since 76. A bit of a separation. Um, so he didn't write all the lyrics in this album. Some were written by him. Some were written by Gary Osborne. Good old, good old Gazza. Ozzy. And... Uh, Tom Robinson. But enough of this idle chit chat, let's get on to track two. Little Genie. Okay, now talking of whiter than white backing vocals is a perfect example of it. Uh, Little Genie, and it's a very nice song. It's very pleasant, but quite amazing, this little teeth-rotting confectionery got to number three in America. And it was actually his biggest hit since Don't Go Breaking My Heart in 76. It's his biggest hit in four years. It's charming, but it is cheesy, and it's way too long for such a slight song with slight lyrics written by Gary Osborne. Gary Osborne. So I'm here with Gary Osborne, a hit songwriter. If you had one piece of advice to offer a new songwriter... Focus. Decide what you want to say and say it. Focus. Tell your story. Have a story to tell. Focus. Focus. We'll get into his lyrics later. It won't take long. Focus. This song reminds me of... There's a period in the late 70s, early 80s, where 
a lot of these kind of romantic comedies would have these kind of cheesy songs at the end. These films starring Chevy Chase or Alan Alda. Arthur's Theme is an example of this kind of song, or the song at the end of Tootsie. Stephen Bishop made a career doing this shit, and it's kind of like that. It's a good version of one of those songs, but it's it's a it's a bit like it's candy floss, isn't it? It's sweet and it just dissolves into nothingness. It's 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 fine. It's fine. Oh, and we also have the Elton John O trope to look out for, which he uh, often sings in his songs. I think that's the first example in the eighties. We'll keep score. We have track three, Sartorial Eloquence. Sartorial Eloquence And style that's almost all your own You've got the knack of being so laid back It's like talking to the great unknown You've got a self-sufficient swept-back hairdo Pretty certain that you've got it made Oh, your lifestyle shows in the clothes you chose Sitting pretty in the more like it this is the stuff this is classic Elton uh, if this song had been released in 74 it would be right up there with the upper echelons of Elton with Rocketman and your song and all that stuff it's just classic it, I love everything about this song uh, the intro is just simple the verse is good the bridge is great he doesn't do many bridges because Bernie doesn't write him enough lyrics Bernie if you write him three verses before the chorus he has to do a bridge the lyrics are by Tom Robinson it's actually a quite a, a subtly gay lyric if you look at it if you read between the lines um, it was called don't you want to play this game no more in America because being Americans they wouldn't understand what satorial or eloquence means I would build a great wall and nobody builds walls better than me believe me yeah and thank God the girls are back with the backing vocals. Stephanie Spruill and Carmen Twilly. Carmen Twilly. Hey girls, they really want to know, right? Don't you want to play this game no more? Don't you want to play this game no more? This is no unfinished game of Scrabble here. They mean business. Uh, it's just it's great. This is. It should probably be my top 10 Elton songs of all time. Forget the 80s. I just think this is the perfect pop song. And I love the sing it bit as well. That's great. Sing it. And unlike most of his 80s work, the synths sit nicely in the background, supporting rather than leading. And as we get into the 80s, that would become less and less the case. Should have been the first single in the UK. Didn't get the top 40 in the UK and the US, which is criminal. I, I just cannot fault this song. It's great stuff. Uh, this makes This makes the playlist for the best of 80s Elton. 
And what else can you say? Uh, insert from Pedant Corner. Uh, it actually got to number 39 in the USA. Thank you. And also in Chasing the Crown, when he claimed to have built the Great Wall of China, this is factually inaccurate as he was born in 1947 and the wall was said to have been built in the 7th Rooms at the End of the World, this is very different for Elton. A song about songwriting charting the working relationship between our Burn and Reg. Uh, there's a nice rhythm to it, gets the toes tapping. I had this album on vinyl, because in the day, you'd get into an artist and you'd try and get their back catalogue by going through second-hand record stores. Nowadays, it's just a swipe down on Spotify and Apple Music, but that's how you did it then. You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. And I remember buying this on vinyl and a single man. And that was the only two I got until CDs came around. I uh, remember this one, this particular song I thought was okay at the time. And um, it's aged really nicely, I think it's a great track. I'd say it's the second winner on the album. Uh, Mr. Girls on backing vocals, but I like the arrangement and the horns. And Clive Franks on the cowbell, ladies and gentlemen. Clive Franks. Here for Clive Franks. Great cowbell work. I gotta have more cowbell. Uh, no, this is a good song. Really good song. Good way to end side one. Add this one to the playlist, Mrs. Norris. Oh, my giddy aunt, I never thought of that. And a side one. I picked up the piano quite early. That was very strong. Side two. My prize that is space of time. I strip too much of nothing from your plastic bag. I'm a cataconic son of a bitch's head. We enter the world of side two with White Lady, White Powder, Cocaine! Something that both Burn and Reg could obviously relate to. So, Burning's three lyrics in this album have covered the devil's work, or pursuit of power, maybe a metaphor for fame perhaps, the songwriting process, and now Coke. Uh, it's their 70s right there in three songs. And aptly, the Eagles, Don Henley, Glenn Fry. Didn't know until he died it was Glenn Frey, not Glenn Frey. For years I've been calling him Glenn Frey. All those times I've talked about him, I'd say, Glenn Frey. Just an everyday conversation, you know, just, just talk about stuff. Like, Glenn Frey, I wonder what he's doing right now. And I get his weird looks, and obviously because they didn't know who the hell Glenn Frey was. Glenn Frey, oh, the Eagles guy. No, Glenn Frey. And the other guy, three guys. 
I'm not the hugest fan of the Eagles, but you've just got to listen to the live version of this to realise what they do contribute to the song. The song itself is not really on coke, it's more a mild strain of mellow pot. Sleepy and unfocused and gagging for a ginsters. It's laid back to the point of inertia and that sets the tone really for side two of this album. The music of Chasing the Crown, that edgy histrionic kind of hyperness, comparatively speaking, maybe would have been more fitting for this song but maybe the contrast was the point. Or maybe he just had a bad stash of Colombian's finest on that day and wasn't really up for it. It's all right, actually, I don't mind this song, but uh, yeah, it's nice. Dear God. We're getting deeper into side two in the game of two halvesness of this album. Little Genie starting to sound better and better. I'm revising my opinion of that song track by track. I'd say nothing on this album is terrible, it's just all a bit soft. Gary Osborne Focus. contributes the lyrics expect a soaring indictment of organised religion and the inherent hypocrisies within collectives of faith controlled by fallible hypocritical men only joking. <laughs> it's pretty bland and lyrically generic with a melody to match though, I do like this one bit. not really enough to save the song mistake third single no they should have re-released tutorial eloquence until the pro source sensor made it number one until the 90s classic mistake i can think of two other dear gods from the 80s and this is the weakest some midger midger midge got his name because it's jim backwards and he's a short ass Midyear from Ultravox, Dear God from 1988, and Dear God from XTC, which I think was 1986, maybe 87. 
I never knew until recently that the child at the beginning of XDC's Dear God was a girl, not a choir boy. My whole world shifted off its axis for a few seconds when I found that out. It's you. Sorry. Next. Uh, oops, that's wrong. Try again. Again, we're in that 78 to 82 romantic comedy and credits territory. Alan Alders walking down Fifth Avenue away from camera, hand in hand with Joe Clayburgh. Tom Robinson lyric. And he recorded it himself first as a single in 1979 with the Tom Robinson band. And in this, the gender was explicit. He was singing to a man. And for the Elton John lyric, he became she. And it would have been interesting with the blandness of this song, this squidgy marshmallowness of it, if it kept the gender as it was, and he was singing this to a man talking about men. That would have really, talking about contrast. That would have been the contrast. That would have worked. That would have given it an edge. It's not painful to listen to. It's perfectly pleasant. But it, again, it's one of those that just dissolves on impact. And here's the thing about the album on reflection. I've listened to it again for the first time in years. It's it's perfect background music for that reason. It's, I've listened to this quite a lot. And it's pleasant listening with all the good and bad that implies. Stephen Bishop should have sued for plagiarism for this, though. And now we're on to what? Five, six, seven, track eight. Take me back. If you're on your own, little girl, take me back. When the nights grow longer, burning black and black. Open up your heart, little girl, I'll take me back. Playing a part you will Reg does country. Yeah, fine. Pleasant but dull. I think it's for people whose favourite drink is Robinson's Lime Cordial. I think every album will have one song with a one-line review on that, and this is this album's. Next. Uh, 
final track of the album, Give Me The Love, lyric by Judy Tzuk 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 I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce the name. Tzuk 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 I've heard of it, I've never heard a name said out loud. Tzuk of Stay With Me Till Dawn fame. No, I didn't remember it either. Lyricist, she's kind of the female Gazos. Focus. I am the thunder, you are my lightning. For I am an eagle, but my wings are all tied up. Talk about the Lord giving and the Lord taking away. Dear God, can you explain why you've given me these eagles' wings and then tied them up? The girls are back and they really want you to give them the love. Give me the love. The woman came up to you asking you to... Give me the love in that style. You would ask for a restraining order pretty damn sharp. Give me the love. Give me the love. Give me the love. It's five and a half minutes long. There's not enough to it, really. It, it needs more to sustain it. David Foster, famous David Foster. who's done everything musically um, that you probably don't like. Celine Dion, Chicago. After all the who we've been through yeah, I think he did the arrangement for this. Yeah, I, actually, I quite like it. It's one of those quite like it. It'd be work better as a three and a half minute song. As the end track, you're asking a lot of it to be an end track, to be the last track of an album, and it doesn't quite match up to that. It'd be a, a good end of side one song. There we have 21 at 33, 80s Elton's first album of the 80s. And the verdict, I enjoyed this more as I listened to it as a 40 minute listening experience than as a collection of nine individual songs. Like I said, it's a good album to write to or work to because it doesn't distract you. And that might be to its detriment. But there are those two songs, tracks three and four, that do demand your attention. And the rest is nice background. There's nothing here I would skip if it's on the background. But if it came on shuffle, then I probably would skip most of the songs. But I would recommend it for a listen. The four word review. Easy listening with gems. Playlist songs. Two. On the 30th of September, he played a free concert in Central Park, New York, in front of an estimated 450,000 people. That's the one where he dressed up as Donald Duck for the encores. It's a little bit funny. This feeling inside I'm not one of those who can easily hide I don't have much money But boy, if I did I'd buy you a house for a couple of quid If I was a sculptor but then again, no Or a man Who makes potions in a pot 1981 So before we get to the next album There's a little matter of a few non-album singles You released in this time period All duets Partial to a duet is our Reg 
There is his duet with John Lennon, live at Madison Square Gardens from 1974. Their version of I Saw Her Standing There, released as a tribute to Lennon, who had died three months previously. tried to think of a number to finish off with so that I could get out of here and be sick. <laughs> and we thought we'd do a number of an older, strange fiancé of mine called Paul. This is one I never sang. It's an old Beatle number, and we just about know it. There's Loving You Is Sweeter Than Ever, cover of the Four Top Songs, the duet with Kiki D. Still hanging in there, hanging on Elton's coattails. Truly glad that loving you has made my life sweeter than ever. You don't know how much this makes me, but I'm loving you, baby. Les Aveaux with France Gaulle. He seems to have a bit of a, a French music fixation at this time. Les grands devenir moi. J'ai le don mais point les forces de vivre et le vilain tout ton n'est l'ombre qui passe et voilà le présent que je regarde en face. None of these singles were particularly successful, if at all. Hello, Pallant's Corner again. The uh, French single Les Avocs actually sold 600,000 copies in France. Or, as they would say in French, cease 100,000 copies. Thank you. Now we have Elton's next album. Uh, now, to get us through this album, not that he's getting through, I'm not saying it's terrible. Uh, there's on, you'll find this on YouTube, actually. It's bizarre, but very, very worth watching. It kind of shows where Elton's stock was at at this time. He does this presentation, teleconference, with... He'd signed to Geffen Records distributed by WEA to, to improve his lot and they hold this one hour kind of conference that's going to be played I guess to all the promotion people responsible for selling the album. I'd like to welcome you to this get-together everybody who's watching throughout the country. Um, I first of all like to say how delighted I am to be on Warner Brothers Records or Geffen Records through Warner Brothers. It's lovely to be on WEA and just be distributed, and it's nice to be on Geffen. I'm going to introduce someone who's been tremendously helpful towards me. He's probably known as the Pat Boone of the record industry. But uh, I would like to introduce someone who's been most helpful, and uh, the people at Geffen have been fantastic for me at a time in my career where I needed people to be fantastic. So I'd like to introduce, I don't know his real title, but I know that he's wonderful, Mr. Eddie Rosenblatt from David Geffen Records. The album was produced by Chris Thomas, Bill Price, and Clive Franks. And Elton John. And Elton John. Thank you. And Elton, you wrote some songs with uh, Gary Osborne. Focus. And yep. Tom Robinson. Bernie. Hi, I'm Bernie Torpin. I think we have Bernie here. Can we bring him out? Or Bernie what? Torpin, who's <clears throat> starved for years and made millions on my name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's face it, but the little, the little bastard has sort of raised his ugly head again. And... and he presents it like a TV show host, and all these different people come up and speak from the company. At this point, I'd like to introduce Pete Johnson, 
and Adam Summers from Warner Brothers, who are going to talk to you about advertising. Yes, I'd like to introduce Mr. Lou Dennis, Russ Tyrett, Mark Hi. Maitland, uh, George Geraghty, and John Barbas. And they're now going to talk about what they're going to talk about. We'll talk about the single and the album and the promotion plans uh, for both. Uh, I'll deal primarily with the single. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. You can't imagine him doing this in 1974. But in 1981, and he says it as much in, in, in the, the program, how much he needs this. And it's quite interesting. To be business-like for a second, it's very important for me to get FM play back. Um, because a lot of FM stations gave up when Crocodile Rock came on. And uh, I don't really get as much FM play as I used to. I think Victim of Love finally buried me as far as I was concerned. So uh, we're going to talk about the album cover. Um, take it away, guys. I had a sleeve done called The Fox, which is totally different from the one you're seeing. And I was adamant. And I was in Paris last week for my birthday. I always get that my birthday. Um, and David Geffen phoned me up and says, I don't like the sleeve. And I said, David, if I thought you were 1% right, then I would do another session. He said, well, I'm sending over another couple of sleeves. I said, David, print my sleeve. Artistic license being what it is. And to give David Geffen his due, he said, OK, I'll go ahead and print it. Two hours later, my manager arrives. Once he'd struggled out of his dress, it was all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He said, I have album covers for you. And as soon as I saw this uh, album cover, I was in awe. I mean, I couldn't speak. Rick Serenia has just done an incredible job. And David was absolutely right. So, yeah, the cover, a very sparse living room with a portable black and white TV and a stuffed fox on the mantelpiece, like living in Wiltshire in the 70s. So, I, you know, I'd be interested to see what the, the first version, this was better than looked like. I think there's a sentence there. If you just cut that and rearrange it, anagram in, I speak. Really, this is most provocative, this encouraged mould. Here I've come to milk and the human kindly, and come to give it to you from the monthly thing, as you'll be afflicted first from month to month. You look at your impulse for it, and all you can pull out me off in your secretary. So five of these songs are holdovers from the 21 at 33 sessions, and maybe a little bit it sounds that. And Elton says that he had to go away and rewrite six of these songs. David Geffen um, and John Reed, who's my manager, had the intelligence to challenge me when I produced an OK album, and uh, I, which I produced myself with Clive Franks. And they said, go and do another six tracks. And I sort of sulked about it, but I knew they were right. It's, it's not a change of direction, it's just a spark. There's an excitement about this album. first track is Breaking Down the Barriers, actually inspired by Paul Gambaccini during an interview. Listen. Do you think you could set to music famous poems, or is that another... Yeah, I could. If you gave me something now, um, a poem, I could probably write a song or a tune to it in about five or ten minutes easier. Yeah. No problem. 
Well, I'll do that then. Oh, I have here <laughs> No Man is an Island by John Donne. There you go. It's a, quite a famous poem. Mm. So you want me to do this, right? Well, if you think you can do it. Mm, okay. Well, both has to be exploited, I suppose. Do I have to think about what's the cut? No, I don't want to think about it at all. No man is an island. To me, this is interchangeable with Chasing the Crown. Stodgy, slightly dated sounding rocker. We are still not in the 80s. It's another okay song, but it's not particularly memorable. This is one of two albums of Elton's from the 80s I'd never heard before I started doing this. This one took a few listens to stick before I could remember the tune without playing it which kind of says something in itself. Uh, I hate the piano trills. Is that the right term? Piano trills? It feels like I want to use that phrase, and if it's right, I'm going to say it anyway, piano trills. Yeah, that. I find that irritating beyond belief, and that kind of spoils the song for me. It's just it's like the worst kind of earworm. It's just, go away, go away. Stop it. We have another trope, 80s Elton trope here, the 80s Elton doo-doos. It's when, because it, he's not given enough lyrics by Bernie, he has to like doo-doo his way or la-la his way through parts of the song. is Elton Dudu. Backing vocals from Stephanie Spruill, but where's Carmen Twilly? Carmen Twilly. Where did you go, Carmen? Why did you leave us? It's Harmon without Carmen. It's silly without Twilly. So we're moving into songs that are now recorded in the 80s. This is a year of new romantics of Vienna, don't you want me, Adam and the Ants. But it, it, it needs to be more to start the album, if you're trying to make a comeback. We've got the album, which will be on the radio on May 8th, that's a Friday, on the streets on the 11th, Monday. <laughs> in the trash cans on the Tuesday. <laughs> oh, Heart in the Right Place, how could I? Heart in the Right Place is written about this woman who writes the English press. I have this thing about press people who... Um, it's not so bad over here, actually, but in England, we have, uh, we have the National Enquirer released every six days of the week um, as uh, national newspapers. And I, I don't mind anybody uh, slagging me off and saying he's boring, he's finished, he's over the hill, etc. It's just that um, some people earn a living out of um, saying nasty things about people uh, without ever having an ounce of talent themselves. <laughs> this song is having a go at those sort of people, one person in particular. in the right place you get a feeling this this is on those cod blues rock tracks very much a track to 
So this is a 21 at 33 outtake, and it does sound like it. I mean, of course it's generic. That's a Gary Osborne lyric. <laughs> Focus. Tell your story. Have a story to tell. Focus. <laughs> a rare Gary Osborne lyric about a subject, the dreaded fourth estate. Very prescient of Gaza, knowing what troubles 80s Alton would later get into with the tabloids. Boring song, though. Too long. Feels like a latter-day Who album track. No. Also, just like Belgium, which is on the album, um, was actually... <laughs> I don't say... That. No, it was originally written for the Rod Stewart album, uh, but Rod turned it down. <laughs> oh. All but fair. Remember Belgium and the Brussels Museum Where we piled on the front steps A few francs we saved Bought some cheap souvenirs But the red lights when I can't fast Make it just like Belgium See your space down on the floor Of another cheap bar Straight walk the sweet Talk you out of your spare change And your sweet madame makes it sing Second verse doesn't rhyme. Has a nice feel to it. Early 80s song, not quite there, but nice. Yeah, so, as you said, um, it was offered to Rob Stewart and rejected because the lyrics didn't quite match. And considering the abject shite that Rod has done in his career, that's saying something. It is an odd lyric and it's an odd metaphor. Lyrically, I don't think it quite works. But I like the song. There's a lightness of touch, especially compared to previous tracks. I think it's one of the best on the album. But you can see why it wasn't a hit. Uh, it's nothing immediate about it. It's just a nice song. Brucey sax solo. Perfectly named Jim Horn. Guitar solo from Brian Axe. Drums by Colin Skins. And backing vocals by Barry Cat. Play an instrument. I like this one. Um, Nobody Wins, which is uh, a French song. Nobody Wins. Let me just talk about Nobody Wins for a second. I was driving in France last year very badly and I heard this incredible record on the radio and I stopped the car. Uh, it was called Je veux de la tendresse. Um, and France means a lot to me. And uh, so when I heard this record, and it's just an amazing song. I, I bought the record, and luckily it wasn't a hit anywhere, but uh, Gary Osborne wrote the English lyrics uh, to this song, which is going to earn the French writer a lot of money, um, and that's Nobody Wins. Simple eyes of you, it wasn't hard to see the truth. And in the end, nobody wins. 
Personnegagne. Nobody wins. This was chosen as the first single, and if you examine why this album underperformed, you need to look right here. The album was doomed from the off. We're doomed. Uh, I, I gotta be honest, I really hate this song. Um, it just, everything about it irritates me. The backing, the, the singing, the tune, just doesn't work for me. I am averse to French music, which means, of course, that I don't like Joe Taxi. <laughs> A bit creepy. Joe Taxi. Joe. Joe. Got the alternate doo-doo trope. Three verses. They actually wrote another verse. Like, of all the songs, like, don't add another verse to this one. Get it over with. They added a third. Gary, Gary really pulls it out here. I'm going to have another verse here. No. Fascist faces. I'm glad Bernie wrote that. Um, and not me, because he'll get the blame. <laughs> um... No, that's one of my favourite tracks, and I think that's a sneaky... If you do want to talk seriously, and I haven't been talking seriously, I must apologise. never do. Um, that's a sort of Benny and the Jets track for me. I think a lot of people will pick up that, and that could be a sneaky single. I hope so, because I really like that track. Fascist faces. Bernie gives the two fingers to oppressive fascism. Hi, I'm Bernie. Boom Shanka. So open. It's spending the jets if it's menopausal and depressed. A potentially interesting lyric by Bernie unexplored. Two verses. Again, it's not enough to examine the subject matter of the song. Two verses and one chorus. You need. That's why you need middle eights. Middle eight traditionally is what follows the second chorus in the modern pop song. Verse chorus, verse chorus, middle eight, then third verse chorus or chorus to fade up. Guitar solo. Chorus. It takes the song musically and lyrically into a different direction, like it, it explores it further and his songs don't do that because his songs mostly don't have middle eights, they certainly don't have a middle eight in another verse. The thing with not having enough musically or lyrically means once you hit the second chorus you've heard everything in the song and it's just repetition and it's a five minute song so it's not enough there to hold your attention. This is not an end of side one kind of song. But also the most illuminating thing in that whole tele-promo conference was actually, I don't know if you heard that little aside, a little snide aside from Bernie. 
If you do want to talk seriously, and I haven't been talking seriously, I must apologise. Never do. Never do. Imagine for a second you're Bernie. I know, I know, we've all done it. He's writing these heartfelt, sincere lyrics, and there's Elton clowning it up on stage in a Donald Duck outfit. It must have felt a little belittling. Maybe that four-year time apart wasn't as harmonious as it led people to believe over the years. 80s Elton was doing this out of necessity, but also he's kind of taken the piss all the way through as well. And Bernie's there, sitting in the background the whole hour, listening to this, and it must have annoyed him, because he's equally invested in this project too. And decide why. I like something firm between my legs. I too. Well, the, the track Chloe, um, the introduction, the Carla Etude, all that bit, you think, God, what's going to happen? It's the second track I've done with the London Symphony Orchestra. The arrangement was done by James Newton Howard, who's the other keyboard player in my band. Over his lifespan of two years, actually, the whole track's come together. The piano was done in Los Angeles in 1979. The strings, the London Symphony Orchestra, were done in New Year's Eve. On, in 1979. The fanfare was done in Los Angeles in 1980. Chloe was done in Nice in 1979. So it's been a well-traveled track and it's one I'm very, very proud of. And uh, one of, it's one of the tracks that Clive Franks and I produced. And um, when Chris Thomas did the six tracks and I said, God, I've got to sit down and play them our tracks. One gets very nervous. It's a perfect opener to side two because side one is, is quite hairy all the way through. And I'm very, very pleased with that. So we start side two with an instrumental, and another one, and another, and a song. Carla, Etude, Fanfare, and Chloe. Carla reminds me of a Randy Newman score, something like Toy Story. Carla, Etude. And it is Etude, not Etude. I always thought you pronounced it Etude. Uh, Carla, Etude was written for uh, Clive Franks. Sorry for Clive Franks. And his bride, not sure what her name was. It's either Carla or Etude, one of the two. Uh, my name's Clive, this is the wife, this is uh, Etude Franks. Say hello, Etude. This is nice. It's, it's, it's very, very romantic. It is. It's quite nice. Fanfare. It's basically an instrumental prelude of the track that follows Chloe. It's a good idea, but the cheesy keyboard kind of spoils it slightly. This really is too short to make an impact. It should really have been used, I think, as a reprise at the end of the album, after the last track, done by James Newton Howard. We did a lot of Elton supplementary keyboard work at this time. He later went on to do many film soundtracks, Pretty Woman, The Fugitive, Sixth Sense, Batman Begins in the Dark Knight, with Hans Zimmer frame, Hunger Games, Fantastic Beasts, and Liar Liar. The pen is blue. The pen is blue! The goddamn pen is blue! Love a bit of La La. It's one of those films you've got to watch whenever it's on. Eight Academy Award nominations, that's a hell of a career. Get over there! Alright, alright. And, and one to license.
flowy, it's a nice song, I like it. But when you have six minutes of instrumentals as a prelude to your song, it needs to build to something, it needs to be worth the wait. And this is just another pleasant early 80s Elton ballad. And it's still one of the best tracks on the album, I like. But a whole side of this might have been nice. It's a more thematic thing to have instrumentals flowing into songs, into instrumentals. And it felt like a bit of a halfway house having it as basically half of side two. But it is nice and it is very listenable. What other stuff did we write now? Let's talk a bit, then. We did uh, Fascist Faces. Fascist Faces, oh, that should, great. you know, get and me back on FM radio again. <laughs> and uh, Heels of the Wind. Heels of the Wind. Heels with the Wind. Heels yes. with the Wind. Really enjoyable, up-tempo track, but does not stay as welcome. Next. Kent is holding up the singles browser box <laughs> that you can see right here, over by the curtain. And this single browser box is a little different than any past ones we've done in that it can be used for a number of singles, for 8, 10, 12 Elton John singles. But the furnishings on the set over there and the furnishings that were used on the album cover are courtesy of an outfit called Skank World. I'd like to thank Rick and, and Skank World. Don't, Don't be nervous, those trousers will come back in fashion one day. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, thank you for talking to us. Is I there see. one song out of all of them that you've written, that you've had on an album, that you really, really like? Yeah, Elton song off the Fox. Elton song. Uh, this is another um, Elton trope. It's a show tune. There's no business like show business like no business I know. Without even trying, he writes songs for musicals before he wrote musicals, and this is one that would be ideal in a musical. Tom Robinson lyric. Glad to be gay. Effective in its simplicity. A video album was made for this LP, very early 80s. A video was made for each song. And he must have been one of the first to do this. It was banned, this one, as it made explicit what is implicit in the lyric as a schoolboy's attraction to another boy. There's a real feeling in the lyric encapsulated by the detached, sad melody. Probably one of the saddest songs. This one may be the last song, I would say, the saddest, in the true sense of the word. I would have liked to have heard an entire album of Tom Robinson lyrics, like Gary Osborne got with The Single Man. Well, this is a really nice song. Yeah, it's one for the playlist. When I phoned Bernie out, I said, write a song about me. Um, on. So we changed the name from female impersonator to the fox. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I phoned Bernie out and I said, listen, write a song called the fox. Um, 
and try and write a song about me and lyrically because then um you know i'd really be able to get into it you know when i sang it so that i am the fox like it or not dang, 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 dang. and uh, it is a song about me written by bernie i haven't really analyzed the lyrics yet but um i think they're pretty good lyrics i mean as far as they're very complimentary. of course they are of course they are, <laughs> course they are. okay so the fox is really me peak 70s Elton and could be one of those mid 70s peak Elton LPs. The best of Elton sounds fully formed and this flows perfectly. I really enjoy this one. Still wouldn't have been a big hit but would have been a much better choice than nobody wins. Fucking harmonica though. Are you Stevie Wonder? Are you? Then put it the fuck down. Uh, who is it? Pause. Record. Mickey Raphael. He's worked with Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan and Snoop Dogg amongst others. So bang goes my next podcast, What Up Dog? Ain't doing that shit now. In the last clip though, wasn't that revealing when he says he hasn't analysed the lyrics yet? He's written the song, he's recorded the song, he's performed it in a video and he still hasn't analysed the lyrics. That was absolutely fascinating to me to hear that. I wonder how that made Bernie feel. But this is a really good song. It's a really good way to end the album. See, it does work, see? See, don't you think? Yeah? Anyway, more for the playlist, Mrs Norris. I'm nearly all plastic now, you know. Yeah? Right. Okay. So, to summarise... It's kind of proves it in the 80s, with all these promotions, men, nearly all men, talk about their selling records. It was all a load of bullshit. This album sold a third of its predecessor, which was far from a huge seller itself. It flopped, basically. It just showed in the 80s 
how much they actually influenced things. If it sold, it would have sold anyway. MTV was doing their job for them. If you've got an album with Billie Jean and Beat It on it with those videos, you're selling a shit ton of albums, regardless of how many beardies you have frequenting record stores. Check it on YouTube, they've all got a lot of facial foliage. This album was never going to be a hit. All the marketing genius in the world wouldn't have shifted this album. Victor Kayan would have struggled to upsell these songs. The Remington microscreen shaves as close as a blade or your money back. It's a nice modern cultural reference for you there, kids. The Rolling Stone Review said, In the end, the fox sounds less like a comeback than a graceful, mature coda to Pop's banquet years when Captain Fantastic roared the airways and the champagne never stopped flowing. I don't know if melancholy is the right word, but it is kind of uninspired. There is a degree of going through the motions with this album. I do like it. Um, I do enjoy it, but... He's not firing on all cylinders here. He's not. That's to come. But he's still on that kind of downwards kind of slope at the moment. The four word review. Man out of time. Play this song. Two. All I can say is deliver. So I'm really counting on you as everyone in this room is counting on you. And if everything goes well, we'll see you in July. If you do a good job. Way to go, Henry. I'd like to thank, we're wrapping this up now. I can't tell you enough, honestly, I've said it before, how it means to be with WEA, to be with Geffen Records especially, and to have the people of WEA and Warner Brothers Records behind me too. Um, that means more to me than the advance. It really does. <laughs> we're gonna close by showing you a picture of Ed Rosenblatt's paycheck. Um, what did you say, Ed? Small. So we've heard. Um, <laughs> but we're talking about your paycheck. Um, 1982. So now on to number three album of the 80s, Jump Up. An inspiring title for an album. It's a Jamaican expression that means party on. It's just a positive expression, jump up. I see pride. Can't hear you. I see power. I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody. Recorded in Montserrat in late 1981 and released in April 1982. And we still have different lyricists here, three on this album. But we've got one producer now, Chris Thomas. Had quite a career. Only five years from Nevermind the Bollocks. Language Timothy. Quite a change. Only two years from Brass in Pocket. And boy, how Elton would have loved the Brass in Pocket at this time. That's not a sexual euphemism. The cover, the only thing that screams 1982 about this album is the cover. You've got a picture of the artist, you've got the jazzy typesetting, the splodgy naff colours. It's all there. It's a very common look at this time. I think of this one as Elvis Costello, Punch the Clock, Bob Dylan, Empire Burlesque. I think all three LPs are around the same time period, give or take a couple of years. So anyway, let's get into the album. First track is Dear John.
been a while since he's had a really strong album opener. Probably not since Captain Fantastic, or even the bitches back from Caribou. Caribou! It's a burst of energy, but it's quite a routine track. It's a decent track three, but if you want to show some intent with your opener, it doesn't really do that. It's just okay. Eight is Elton, you need more than just okay at this point. Uh, C'est la vie, the lyric, the Gary Osborne lyric. Focus. Proves he can write in French as well. Concentrate. Is there no beginning to this man's talents? There's a nice piano solo. It's just a bit average for a beginner, like the two previous albums. It's a running theme here. child one line review good second track this one was a grower i like it Gary Osborne lyric, can't you tell? When Elton John says he can't write lyrics, explains why, and I think of this song. Quote, I got a ball and chain hanging around my heart. You were the one to blame for tearing my world apart. I got a heart so true, you got a heart of ice. A little more love from you, it could have been... Paradise. Is it possible to fit more cliches into one verse? Ball and chain, line one. Line two, tearing my world apart. Line three, heart so true, heart of ice. You're cold, woman. You've got a heart of, oh, oh what's, a, what's a good metaphor? Ice. But it could have been, oh, what's the opposite of bad? What would be like if it's heart of ice because it's bad? What would be, paradise, and it rhymes with ice. Winner. I cannot believe Elton couldn't have written this himself. Is, is it a degree of laziness? He says, I can't write lyrics. That's something a lyricist does. But, see, so you can knock out melodies in five minutes. And he says it all the time. Maybe with lyrics, he'd have to sit down and really write them down and take a bit more time. And he lacks the patience. He says that himself. He doesn't like being in the studio. He doesn't like wasting. If the song doesn't come in 30 minutes, he quits and goes to something else. Proven in interviews, he's sharp, perceptive and witty. Back with Elton John. How are you? Fabulous. Thank you. I thought of a couple more diaper songs. Did you? Yeah. Let's hear. Sitting on the poop of the day. <laughs> Some of your 
song. Thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah, let's do Goodbye, it. Goodbye, yellow. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, you can tell everybody this is my pong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, let's get off the pub right. ah. Oh, My son is very fascinated. He's at that stage now. Fascinated by what? The poop. Oh, really? Everything's about the poop. Have you taken him to Italy to see the poop? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't poetry. Lyrics are a collaboration with melody. What did John Lennon say? Tell the truth and make it rhyme. It's not philosophy, you're not writing a Shakespeare sonnet. It's just got to come from a place that's real. And that's why it's frustrating, I think, that he doesn't write his own lyrics. Because they would at least be as good as this. On to the tune. Uh, Pete Townsend's on acoustic guitar here. Uh, and this has a nice retro feel to it. There was a real 50s comeback in the 70s and the early 80s. And this has the feel of that Dave Evans track. Queen of Hearts. It was a single in the USA, but I think it could have been better suited as a single in the UK. I think this could have been a hit. It was like a follow-up to Blue Eyes. I think it could have done something. I mean, it's certainly a better choice for single than All Quiet on the Western Front. And this is also a doo-doo song. Doo-doo. Another show tune from Melton and understandable is it's co-written with Tim Rice. This was a lyric that was rejected by old Pugface, ALW, and Elton had written the melody first and then fit the lyric to it. Like most of the songs on the album, he wrote them differently. He had melodies for this one that lyrics were then added on to afterwards. It's different to his usual way of working with Bernie and putting lyrics to music. I like this song, but if this lyric and melody was written by the same person at the same time, you would never have this. Every time I hear that line, it makes me smile. I think it's really... <laughs> Can the seven years together be divided by two? That's what happens when you put a lyric to a melody, or a melody to an existing lyric. In five years together divide by two that would have saved a couple of silly bubbles uh, also doo doo song this is one of the doo doos suitably melodramatic but me likey and all songs should end with a triumphant oh yeah oh yeah Clarity Corner here, and neglected to mention this is a playlist song.
Thank you. Track 5, I Am Your Robot. At last, 80s Elton joins the 80s. Futuristic Elton. Well, until the intro ends, anyway. Uh, This is a Bernie lyric, which I will quote in full here. I've been beaming aboard her for a light year from a strange craft. She's got a subtle touch on the silver key to a clockwork heart. Doesn't rhyme. I am your robot. I am your robot. I am your robot, man. Repeat. You went and flipped the switch and turned me positive when I was negative. I've been stumbling around like a metal man on the graveyard shift. Negative shift. I'll, I'll, I'll just about allow that one. Repeat chorus, obviously. I am your robot and I'm programmed to love you. My serial number is 44357. Now, I don't know if you wrote that lyric or it was added to the song, but wouldn't you say 44352 to rhyme with love you if you wrote that as a lyric? Just a thought. Metaphor alert! That is literally five minutes work. If that, that's like basically eight lines of lyric. And for that, he gets 50% of the publishing royalties. I just, it doesn't sound like, sound like a fair division of labour to me. <sighs> Despite this, I should probably hate this. I don't know how this is judged by Elton fans in the EJ community, whether it's their ebony and ivory or not, but I have to admit, I, <laughs> I really like this. Is that, is that bad of me? It's a real earworm. Got more hooks than a JM Barry cosplay event. Uh, he, he wrote Peter Pan. It does contain uh, the most embarrassing bit, I think, of his recorded career. Goodbye, England's Rose. No, not that. Oh. Were me to the max, it's a bit like your granddad quoting Taylor Swift lyrics to you. I'm really gonna miss you picking fights, and me falling for it, screaming that I'm right, and you would hide away and find your peace of mind with some indie record that's much cooler than mine. Ooh, you called me up again tonight, but oh, this time I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we are never ever ever getting back together. You're never, ever, ever getting back together. You go and talk to your friends. Talk to my friends. Talk to me. Talk to me. But we are never, ever, ever, ever getting back together. Dearest Mrs. Gash, one for the playlist, one presumes. Don't give me any of them toffee nose dears and graces, else you're liable to get something else that you don't like. A Faulkney one. The condensation of it. Now, I was about to say end of side one, but it isn't. Ten track album, but track six is end of side one, eh? A eh, indeed. Go, 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 go. 
Obviously, this is the one track that everyone knows off this album, but this is effortlessly lovely. It's a gentle, warm, relaxing soothe of a song. Deeper vocals on this, deeper than he'd used before, and it took a few takes for him to master. idea and the title came from Elton. So why didn't he just finish the lyrics? It's a typically basic lyric from Gazoz. He had uh, alternate drafts entitled Hair in a Bun, Chin Wart and She's Got a Nose. Big nose, baby's got a big nose. The money Gazoz must have made off this. All the compilations this has been on. This is his retirement plan right there, isn't it? Show me the money! Oh. A couple of generic verses. Somebody's eyes. End of stage one. There's a story this morning apparently that just spread onto the internet saying that I'm retiring. <laughs> and the journalist who spread this rumour is an absolute twank. She's an absolute boy. I know because she's interviewed me before. It's like talking to a, a dead mute. Anyway. I am not retiring. I do not have three chefs either. Where did she get that one? I have three chefs and I'm retiring. My, my uh, comment to her on that is just, fuck off. Side two. Empty Garden, obviously inspired by the uh, death of Lennon. Were you inspired by the life of Lennon? Oh, very much so. But the song itself was written very much as just a, a personal feeling at the time. I mean, obviously, it's not a thing that you really want to go into any great depth because everybody's affected, you know, in different ways. But uh, it was something that was very immediate. And I think uh, in the way that both Elton and I worked on that particular song, was, it was the best way that we could show how we were affected and our impressions of John. You know, it's a labor of it, love. Yeah, I mean, it was just different people in different professions show their appreciation for different things in different ways. And we, we write songs, yeah. and that was the best possible way that we could, you know, show how much we appreciated John in life. And we are so
This is about John Lennon. So we go from literal Gaza to metaphorical burn. Imagine a Gary Osborne John Lennon lyric. I would have imagine in it for starters. Imagine you're a Beatle, think of all you've got. Songs that everybody loves, and then you go get shot. Bernie uses the gardener metaphor, which is effective. It's funny how one insect can damage so much grain. Insect indeed. I like that line. It's a rare instance where the melody actually lets the lyric down. It's a bit of a dirge of a song to me. I know a lot of people like this one, but... And everything this is relative. This gets the bad shout out, but to me it's not a bad song. I don't dislike this song. It's just to me it's the weakest song on the album. This is a pretty solid album. It's got the O trope on it. And I worked out what it was about this song that I didn't like, and it's the repeat of the second chorus. So you've got verse, chorus, verse, chorus, then it repeats the chorus straight away. And that's a 34 second chorus. That's 1 minute 8 seconds of this chorus in one chunk, and it's just too long and it's too much of a slog. If it had gone from there straight into the coda end bit, which is the best part of the song, I like the outro, it's really good. Elton is good at these. another example of that later of the end bit of the song being the best part so it's not a terrible song it's just a bit too long and it's a bit too plodding Princess found my initial first listen notes, and this was my original bad track, with the note gets the melody the lyric deserves, which shocked me when I reread them, as I realise this now, this has really grown on me. And this would fit a treat on side 2 of 21 at 33. It's pretty routine until the chorus bit, with the falsetto, and that's really nice, that's the memorable bit, that's the hook, that's the bit that really sticks in the mind. I like the keyboard solo from James Newton Howard, all three of them. That's the last album we did before we got stuck into all the soundtrack work. Is your relationship with my client entirely platonic? Not! Is not your relationship with my client, boink! Dead, baby, dead, baby! Did you ever not make love? Did you... You had sex with her every time you met, didn't you? Didn't you? Liar! You slammed her, you dumped her donut, you gave her dog a sausage, you stuffed her like a Thanksgiving turkey! Now this is the best track on side two for me, I like this one. Young enough to chase our dreams We were captured by romantic things Touched by love until it made us cry How our hearts could fly without Tell me, tell me where 
Where have all the good times gone? Bear in mind that old Bernie would have been about 30, 31 when he wrote this lyric. Isn't he too young to be this much of an old nostalgic fart? This to me belongs with all the Tom Bell songs. It has a very similar feel to Are You Ready For Love? Are you ready? Are you ready for love? Yes, I am for you. Are you ready? Are you ready for love? Yes, I am for I thought the tune was generic and bland, but this has grown on me. And like I said before about the end bit, this has got a good end bit as well. Sequencing on this album is all over the shop. You've got four tracks on side two and three ballads, which makes sense if you want to have a mood piece and have it all be ballads, but then you've got this shoved in there as well, which makes it all disjointed. Ballad, ballad, this song, then another ballad. It's, it's weird sequencing. Feel the pulse of human blood track is All Quiet on the Western Front and I'd heard of this song before but never heard it and I assumed it was another Bernie metaphor comparing love to a war zone and the reason I thought it was a love song because it was on a love songs compilation and we're seeing it All Quiet on the Western Front so I came to this thinking oh it's gonna be a lyric about love but it's literally about World War One who puts a song about war on a love song compilation probably somebody getting divorced I imagine some guy with a bottle of brandy and a letter from a solicitor in his other hand finalizing the track listing the bitch's back probably got vetoed by the record company. This song is okay, but it doesn't really work for me. It's as if Masses of War was recorded by Cliff Richard in 1979. Hi guys, fancy game of tennis? Mixed doubles? I've told you, we've no balls, Cliff. That's okay, you can play with mine. And what's that with the sleigh bells and the church organ? Was he thinking Christmas single? Yay, Christmas number one about senseless slaughter before the Mike Yarwood Christmas special. Yay! <laughs> and it was a single that was never going to be a hit. I don't know what they were thinking. But it's a bit of a drab way to end the album.
So how did this album do? Well, it went gold in the USA, but only got to number 17, and UK got to number 13. So in the 80s so far, he's been quite consistent. So 21 at 33, up to number 12. The Fox got to number 12, and it's got to number 13. In the UK, it was 13, 21, and 17. But that big breakthrough has eluded him, despite having top 10 singles on either side of the Atlantic. Clear for Keishan Corner here, he's made a right balls up with it, so let me clarify, Mr. John's albums, uh, he reached the positions of 12, 12 and 13 in the UK, and 13, 21, 17 in the US. Please do continue. The lack of confidence shown in the single releases as well, it's quite interesting. So, Empty Garden and Blue Eyes were both released in the UK and US, but in the US they released Ball and Chain. And in the UK, we used Princess and All Quiet on the Western Front. So that's three different singles, and none of them worked, none of them were hits. You couldn't imagine, like, I'm Still Standing, Kiss the Bride, I guess that's why they call it the blues, not being singles in both countries. That's the problem here with this album, is you haven't got Blue Eyes apart, you haven't got immediate hit singles on here. The fact they would use different songs in different territories proves that. Uh, Rolling Stone review, Jump Up is the album that redeems Elton John from his famine years as a fallen superstar exiled to less verdant pastures. Good use of the word verdant. Showing more spunk than anyone might have expected at this late date, he's put himself back on top simply by making a tour de force of a record that says he knows he's worth it. And can't argue with that. I think he's certainly heading in the right direction with this album. It still feels a little aimless, but the songwriting is generally improving, the breakthrough's just around the corner. Wait till they get a load of me. But the sequencing of this album, like I said before, is, is a problem. It, it doesn't flow as an album. So here's my revised track listing for Jump Up. Side one, Blue Eyes, Ball and Chain, Princess, I Am Your Robot, Empty Garden. Five songs. Side two, Dear John, Spiteful Child, Legal Boys, Where Have All The Good Times Gone, or Quiet On The Western Front. Five songs aside, no ballads bunched together, flows better. Try it and see. The four word review. Small step, right direction, because I can't say in, because that would make it five. Playlist song. Three. So that's it for part one. Uh, this first period, if you think of them as three trilogies, there's nine albums, and they, I think they, they come in groups of three. This is the first period. Think of this as like the prequel of the 80s Elton years. He's in the 80s, but he's not quite 80s Elton yet. Peak 80s Elton is to come in the next episode. Until then, I'll leave you with a, a dish from Bernie's Philosophical Steakhouse. It's hard enough to lose the game, and sad to see it played again. What makes you happy for a while? gonna make you smile through the rain.
guess who sang that? Kick me up the arse, actually.